0: Well, welcome back. Session two is called Our Primary Responsibility, and it's about how the primary responsibility of both the uh, the church and the home, the family, is to teach the next generation the gospel. Psalm seven three says that children are an inheritance from the Lord. An inheritance is something you leave behind for future generations. So our children are the inheritance that we leave behind to teach other generations the gospel. So the most important assignment that we have as a church and as a family is to live out the power of the gospel and to teach our kids the tenets of the gospel and equip them to carry the gospel mission um, on into the next generation. We're going to talk about how both the church and the home play a different role in this. It's the difference between air war and ground war.
1: We're also going to talk about this idea of perfection that a lot of us, um, really suffer under that, that they have to be perfect. Their family needs to match some idea that they have, especially when they look at social media, Facebook, Instagram, you know, what it's supposed to be like and how God's gonna work in their family. And when things start to fall apart, even in small ways or big ways, um, they think that things are over. But if you look in the Old Testament and in the Bible, God has written a story, a beautiful story of redemption of Jesus Christ that came out of the deepest dysfunction you can possibly imagine. And so we're going to talk about that too.
0: Yeah, that perfect image you want to project about our family is just, there's no flaws in it. That's not necessary and it's not really helpful because the gospel tells a better, more compelling, and more powerful story. Uh, well, we got a lot to get to and I'm excited about it. So uh, let's get into it. So Solomon in Psalm 127.3 says that children are a heritage, or your translation may say inheritance from the Lord. Um, heritage is a inheritance. That's a big word in Hebrew because they always thought in terms of what God was giving them eternally in the future. And what he is saying to them is that children are the first inheritance that you get. They're the first reward that you will enjoy eternally. Um, what that means is that for us as parents and us as a, a, a church, is that our first reward, our first inheritance that we will enjoy for eternity are the kids that God gives to our families and to our church that we win to Christ and enjoy for eternity. I mean, think about it. Inheritance is what you leave behind for future generations, right? Um, Well, we are leaving our children behind as, as stewards of the gospel for the next generation. What that means is that the most important assignment that we have uh, going into the future is to teach them the gospel because that's the means by which they will they'll they'll live for eternity the gospel is to saturate it's to saturate our homes it pervades every single thing that we do everything else we do as parents has to go back to the gospel um, why don't you read that the um, uh, Deuteronomy 46? six yeah. yeah.
1: After giving them the law, Moses said this, you shall teach them diligently, referring to the law, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the Gospel was supposed to saturate your home in, I mean, he lists several different
0: ways here. Did you? I mean, did you hear it? It's it's at the, at the gates. It's in front of your eyes. It's just when you get up, it's there. When you talk, it's not so much formal teaching times as it is just a way of life that is saturated by and goes back to the gospel. Um, the home is the best place for us to teach the gospel. You know, I'm a pastor of a church, and uh, one of the things I often tell our, our people is that as a church, for Families that are very active in our church, we get about 104 hours each year with their kids.
1: That's at the upper end.
0: Yeah, that's at the upper end. That's for people that come every week, which, you know, um, that may sound like a lot, but the average parent gets 8,736 hours with each kid. And that doesn't count school, um, doesn't count when they're asleep. That's just the waking hours that you get. Um, It's in the home that you're able to apply the gospel to various situations, you know, a, a time of brokenness with your child, a time where you're able to confront a specific idol in their life or where the gospel specifically answers a question that, you know, that their life uh, brings up to them. That's just something I can't cover as a pastor. In fact, here's the analogy that we use um, uh, is, we call it the difference between air war and ground war. Um, air war, you know, when um, in the 1960s and so, when air war was really perfected, what they learned was that uh, simply flying a plane over And dropping bombs on an area would never actually root out the enemy entirely entirely because they would just dig you go into caves and dig holes in the ground and then after you got done with your air war then the enemy would just come back out so you would have to weaken up their defenses through air war And then you have to send in troops that would go into the caves and that's where they would actually root out the enemy. Well, if you think about it, kind of what I do as a pastor each week is I teach air war. I teach the gospel by kind of throwing gospel bombs out on everybody. Um, And then what parents do is they are running the ground war because they're looking into situations and saying, "Hey, here's where this principle, here's where it applies to you specifically. Let's let's root this problem out, you know, with yeah. the with the message of the gospel." Yeah. So that's why he says in Deuteronomy six, it's when you lie down, it's when you, you know, are, are leaving your house, it's just on the way that you're having these conversations. Yeah,
1: I think very little of our teaching with our kids happens on some kind of set schedule. I mean, you you've maybe heard us talk about like devotions and things like that, which which we do, um, but.
0: I I don't even feel like that's the good times we talk about it cuz I feel yeah, like half the time in devotions
1: it's going south real fast. It's starting I mean, one kids, you know, playing with a
0: hamster and I'm like, you know, asking questions, I'm looking off and then inevitably like, somebody somebody <laughs> passes gas and it's just like <laughs> it's just it just doesn't happen. Yeah,
1: it's yeah, it's not pretty. But anyway, we press on. But the actual I think where we are being effective with our kids is um when we, it's, it's just doing life together, especially in car rides. I mean, I think car rides are gold, especially the longer ones. If you can do that, like, I, th- I think that's some of our best conversations have been in the car. I yeah, mean, I've if heard you say
0: that. Where you'll you'll say to one of our kids, "I really saw God's grace in your life in yeah, that situation." In the car. Well, no, there's no grace in the car. <laughs> okay. But I mean, like, but you just you, where you're true. pointing out, like, I, I see the activity. I see where God's really worked and blessed yeah. you there.
1: No, I've, a friend of mine does that and I took that from her. Like when I see my kids um, making progress and treating their sibling well, whatever, you know, little things are different for each kid, but I'll try to really own for them that it was not mm-hmm. them doing a better job, that it was the gospel that was God at work in their life. And I say, like, I see. Jesus working in you right there. Like, great job with that. If I
0: were to think out the top five conversations I've had with any of my kids about something spiritual, I don't think a single one of them has happened in devotions. No. Not that devotions are not important because they, they are, but I just think of throwing football with, you know, yeah. um, with Karis, so or I think of just a, a car ride or a bike ride when and I how those things with Kara, come up.
1: cook she, she'll like bring, you can tell they've been thinking about something for a while when they bring it up sometimes. And that's when Karis like my daughter likes to bring something up to me. Is like, we'll be cooking in the kitchen together. And she'll say, hey, mom.
0: So, so, so the home is the best place to speak and apply the gospel. The home is also the place where kids see the gospel lived out. Now, I mean, that is deeply convicting for me because I know that that means like, do my kids see the truth of the gospel and how i treat veronica do they see the grace of the gospel do they see that the gospel is my highest passion so that when i explain to them that there's nothing more important in the world than god's word and the gospel do they see that lived out in my example you know if they just judge the gospel by how graciously i treat veronica what would they think about the grace of god
1: also there's the other side i think to like be reassuring like they're also because you're not going to do a great job of it all the time. You're a sinner, you're going to do a really bad job, and they're going to see you do a really bad job. So they're also seeing the redemption and forgiveness of the Gospel in your home as well. So you don't have to like despair because you haven't done it right. What they can see from you is that you are confessing your sin and that you are asking forgiveness from the people around you and from God.
0: Yeah, I feel like one of the most important things in my teaching my kids the Gospel is learning to apologize often Um, and to say to them, hey, daddy messed up because daddy's a sinner. Because the most important thing is not that my kids learn to admire my righteousness.
1: Because because, they won't be able
0: to. (laughs) Well, because A,
1: it's not not really there.
0: And B, if they did, if they had some image of me as being perfectly righteous, that would crush them. More important than them admiring my righteousness is them learning to adore my Savior. And they'll learn to adore my Savior less by me giving them a perfect example and more by me showing them that the fountain of grace that I experience as the forgiveness of my sins is the fountain of grace that they can they can experience in, in theirs as well.
1: And if your family is what you might consider to be, say, a bigger than average mess, <laughs> uh, one word of encouragement. Because all families are
0: kind of a mess. Yes, exactly. <laughs> a bigger than average mess. But
1: if that's what you're sitting there thinking, almost um, to a one, if you look in the Bible, I, I, I just love this the families the great families the famous families you know Abraham and Moses and stuff like that you know throughout the bible old testament m especially they're all dysfunctional and like dysfunctional with a capital d like just i mean we're talking
0: well, i mean you go through the book of genesis you've got betrayal you've got incest you've got fathers visiting prostitutes you've got a guy who tells another guy that this is not his wife but his sister so that this guy can sleep with her so that so that it's a mess yeah and and we're not even out of the first half of the book yeah, of genesis just- yet you know, now that's not to excuse or make light of those things because those things are, are bad, but what you're seeing is that God took very messed up families and He wrote a beautiful story of redemption through it.
1: I can attest, as a believer coming from a broken family, this story just gave me hope.
0: Yeah, God starts with dysfunction and He tells a beautiful story in it and through it. God's not looking for perfect people and perfect families. Uh, He came to a world that was messed up, and that includes our families, and God's grace ends up being greater. So the point is not a perfect family. The point is learning to experience the redemption of Christ through your family. That's the most important story.
1: Uh, And God put this in there. I mean, it didn't just happen by accident that all of these families are like that. I mean, the consistency is such that you're like, okay, God is trying to tell us something here in these families, and that He is able and willing and is planning on bringing something out of I mean, deep, deep sin in people's lives. He is writing a bigger story about himself. And so, you know, be encouraged, Like no matter where your family is or isn't. God's um, grace
0: can tell that story of redemption.
1: And he intends to do it.
0: He does it best in dysfunction. Yeah. A friend I've heard describe it like this, he called it the stock photo family syndrome. You know, when you go to the store and you buy one of those little frames that's got the little picture in it, you see this perfect family with they're all, you know, playing with the dog and they're out. Teeth on the, are shining. And and the teeth and are shining, a little gleam off of it. And you just look at that and you think, that's not my family. Yeah. Um, less important than that picture, the stock photo family, is, is, the, is the story of redemption, how God has worked with you and your brokenness, how right. God has saved you from your sin. Um, that, by far, is the most important story you can tell, tell your kids. So I guess the the takeaway from this and the question that we have to consider in our families is, are your kids learning the gospel? Are you teaching your kids the gospel? If your kids don't know the gospel, will they know the gospel by the end of this year? Why not make that a goal? Have you ever shared with them your personal testimony, how you came to Christ? You know, a lot of times when we have a babysitter um, come over, that's one of the things we'll say is, hey, before you go to put them down to bed, why don't you tell them your testimony? Do your kids know how you came to Christ? and could they articulate the gospel? If not, why not That make that a really important matter of study?
1: Yeah, ask them and you might be surprised. We've been surprised at some of the things they didn't know that we thought they would, you know.
0: Right. J.D., one of the things I've been curious about and I've talked with other parents about this question of how soon we should lead our kids into
1: the sinner's prayer. And, you know, if they know the gospel, feel like they know the gospel, um, how how old do they need to be?
0: Yeah, a, a lot of Christian parents, I think, tend to freak out about that question because they're afraid that if they you know push their kid to it too early, they'll immunize their kid. You know, a kid prays at four, and then that means they never repent and believe later. But um, a lot of that comes from a misunderstanding that we have about what uh, about what the process of conversion actually is. We kind of look at it like a ceremony, that you go to Jesus, and you, you know, present your sin, and you weep over it, and then you, you get his you know, certificate of salvation. Um, the image of conversion in the Bible is that you have assumed a posture of repentance and faith. Um, repentance means that Jesus is the Lord, and you are not. Faith means that you believe he's done everything necessary to save you on the cross and that you can't save yourself. Think of those like facts, almost like this chair that I'm sitting on. And so what it means to be converted is that you have sat down in that chair of repentance and faith, where right now I am reclining in a position of surrender, and I'm reclining in a position of trust um, that Jesus has done everything necessary to save me. Um, It's, you know, I'm sitting right now It's not as important if I remember the moment that I sat down as it is the fact that I'm actually sitting down now. If you say, J.D., how do you know that you made a decision to sit down? It's not because I remember with clarity, you know, coming into this room and and thinking I'll sit down in that chair. It's because, well, I'm seated there now. So from the very beginning, I've been trying to teach our children, um, you know, from the time they're two years old, there's only one posture ever. Um, ever appropriate toward the Lord Jesus Christ, and that is repentance and faith. I don't really care if they know when they started it. What I care about is that they learn to adopt it. And if they get to be, you know, 18 years old and they say, they don't I don't know, know when they're... I started, right. it, it doesn't matter. The point is, are you repenting, repenting and believing yeah. now? In your study guide this week, you'll see that there's a, we actually, you know, um, talk about that a little book. It's from a book I wrote called Stop Ashing Jesus Into Your Heart, about how do you lead your kids to Jesus and how do you, you know, how do you guide them into that into that realization?
1: So I think the question that I have to ask myself and that you need to ask yourselves too, is what do you care the most about them knowing? And not just what you would say to that, because probably if you're in church, you're a Christian, you would say, well, the gospel is the most important thing. But it doesn't matter what you're going to say with your words. It's going to be what your kids see in your actions and what your life says. So where you're spending your time, where you're spending your money, where you're spending your mental energy, you know, if it's invested primarily in where they go to college at the expense of.
0: Yeah, if you look at how most church parents set up their kids' schedules, you would conclude from that that they care more about where their kids go to college than they do where their kids spend eternity. It's one thing to say Jesus is our priority, but does your schedule show that? Because, because the habits that you form as a family are going to determine what's most important for the, for the kid. So how often do you um, ignore fellowshipping with the people of God and being involved in missions so that you can go into an extracurricular sports thing? Now, I mean, we're not against it. It's right, not right. like they just have to be opposed and we're not trying to be, you know, legalist about why well, every time the doors are open, I have to, right. you know, I have to be there. But um, if you
1: really take stock of where where your priorities are, you know, your kids are always going to know. Ask your kids what they think. Maybe I don't know, they might tell you honestly.
0: Right, because the gospel has to be not only, you know, i to say it's the most important, um, the habits and priorities of our schedule have to, to demonstrate that it's the most important.